0: The word of the Lord from Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are foolish and five are wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
1: Amen. Thank you, guys. If you haven't done so yet, please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25, uh, where Suzanne was just reading for us. So here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Matthew in general. And in particular, we are working our way through um, the Olivet Discourse. And in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is talking about things like um, the end, about his return, about what to expect. And in our last passage, um, where we were a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said this. Number one, no one knows the day or the hour that I will return. And he, and he says, therefore, always be ready and always be faithful, always be ready, and always be faithful. And what he's doing in our passage today is he's giving two parables, two stories, that kind of drill down on what it looks like to be ready and what it looks like to be faithful. So if you're one of like the three people that remembers something that was said in a sermon two weeks ago, this might feel like a repeat in some ways to you. For the rest of you, you just get a second chance. It's a beautiful blessing. (laughs) So I've called this sermon Helpful Parables because really Jesus, as I said, is giving these two parables to explain what it looks like to be ready and what it looks like to be faithful. um, Actively faithful. And so... um, I would just say the main point of this sermon is Jesus wants us to be eagerly, actively looking for him to come. And I would say Jesus wants us to actively and faithfully steward what he's entrusted us until he comes. So let's look at these together. And so, if you're a note taker, um, our first point is ready, ready. Uh, this is the first parable in verses 1 through 13. Um, now, I will say, a week ago, I was preparing to preach this sermon, and the power went out in our community, and as I sat in the darkness in my living room, I, I did wonder, was I ready? <laughs> and the answer was, no, I wasn't. Um, and maybe that's a nice metaphor for us. I mean, did anybody have on your December 2023 bingo card, power out 48 hours on those two days? Anybody? If so, you should claim that. Okay. So what took place was swift and immediate and caught many of us off guard. The takeaway from this parable is given to us in verse 13. So look at verse 13 first. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And so the imperative to us is to be on watch, meaning not just to stay awake, but be prepared. Jesus has promised that he will come again and that when he comes again, it will be a day of the Lord. When he comes again, there will be judgment. When he comes again, his people will be gathered to him and will enjoy him forever and will be in his presence forever. And yet he's saying, be ready, be prepared, be on watch. And so in this parable, this is how he talks about prepared. He said, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Um, so the, the idea is 10 Of the friends of the bride whose job it is to light up the way of the bridegroom. We're told that five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil. Now we're not lamp people, but it takes a lamp and a wick and oil to make a light. So the foolish ones didn't take any oil with them. They just maybe had what was in the lamp. The wise ones, not knowing exactly when the bridegroom might come, took flasks of oil along with their lamps. The bridegroom, we're told, was delayed. They became drowsy and fell asleep. Now, interestingly, note in this parable, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for sleeping. He rebukes them for not being prepared. At midnight, there was a cry, "The bride! here is the bridegroom, come and meet him, which means it was their job to rise and light their lamps and light his way. So the five with the oil rose, lit their lamps, and lit his way. The five who did not prepare said, hey, can I borrow some oil? And if we're just thinking economically, we might think, well, it was quite selfish of those with the oil to not share with those with no oil. But the fear was likely that if we all cut our amount of oil in half, we won't have enough to light the way of the bridegroom. So the five with the oil said, sorry, we're keeping it. You got to go get your own. So they went to get their own. I'm assuming at midnight, it wasn't easy to find a shop and buy some oil. And while they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came and the five who were there lit his way and they went into the marriage feast And as the party moved into the marriage feast, the door was shut. And afterward, the five unwise ladies come back with their oil. They knock on the door and they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. So effectively what's happening here is five of the virgins, five of the young ladies, five of the friends of the bride missed the marriage feast, missed the banquet, missed the party, and missed the bridegroom. Why? In the story, because they were not vigilantly staying ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Okay, So that's, the, that's the, the parable. The parable says, watch. It says, stay ready. Now, you might be asking, okay, well, what do we do with the parable? We do this. The parallel here is Jesus is the bridegroom, And the, the place that the citizens of the kingdom desire to be is in the marriage feast of Jesus, the bridegroom. And Jesus is saying, stay diligent, stay ready. Stay diligent, stay ready. So what I would like for us to do is talk for just a couple minutes about what it looks like to stay diligent and stay ready. And what it looks like to not be diligent and not be ready. Number one, diligent and ready would mean knowing what we are awaiting. Diligent and ready would mean knowing who and what we are awaiting. If we're in Christ, our great awaiting is for Christ to come again and bring full redemption, full forgiveness, full freedom from sin, full joy that will last Forever, we're waiting for Christ. Second, to not be ready would be to either forget that we're waiting on Christ or to allow our longings to be driven toward a replacement for Christ. For our longings to not be for Christ, but for other stuff. You love your job. You love your family. You love your kids. You may even even overly hover them above them at all times, like a helicopter. You love your extracurricular activities. You love a good book. You love watching NFL football on TV on Sunday afternoon. That's why you come to the early service. You love a good meal. You love a good friend. Look, rightly understood, all of those things are gifts from God that allow us to bask in His goodness to us. But anytime we elevate our loves for something above the Lord, our longings above the Lord, then we're not ready. We're not waiting anxiously on Him. Number three. Watching and waiting is rejecting the things that Jesus will come to reject. Watching and waiting is rejecting the things that Jesus will come to reject. I mean, you've probably been in some scare tactic youth gathering at some point where they're like, would you want to be caught doing that when Jesus comes back? Been there, done that, right? I may reject the tone and the delivery, but I don't reject the... It's not as if if we're not in perfect holiness, when Christ comes back, He's going to reject us. That, that's not the gospel, and that's not the message here. But do we want to be defined by and characterized by loving things that Jesus died to defeat? Do we want to be defined by and characterized by loving sin, by embracing sin, by turning away from Christ? by looking to other gods with the little g to deliver us. No, we want to be characterized by loving Jesus and loving the things that Jesus loves. So here's a really simple way to read the Bible. Anytime God says, do this, think this, love this, long for this, that means that he loves those things. He wants those things. And he longs for those things. So run to those things. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I'm going to give one last little kind of cutting question for us. And then we'll move to the second parable. Um. Most of us, when we go through hardship, we're like, come, Lord Jesus, right? Like, come. All the evil, all the pain, all the suffering, come. But Have you ever had a moment where things were going pretty pretty daggum well? And you really enjoyed something that was going on? And you kind of thought, like, Man, I'd like to see this all the way through. Maybe Jesus could wait to the backside of this to come back. Or maybe, you ever had those kind of thoughts? Or am I just the only weird person that thinks that way? I got one other weird person. I see you. I'm not going to point you out. Or on the left. Um, Well, that begins to give a little inkling of where we're loving. We're elevating gifts a bit too high. I promise that for you and your child to be with Jesus will be far, far better than them having a wedding here on earth. I promise that for you and your spouse to be with Jesus will be far, far better than than any event that you have planned in the not so distant future. Let's be ready. I'm becoming convinced that we're never going to finish the book of Matthew. (laughs) Because I'm not sure that we're ever going to finish. Second. Entrusted. This is the second parable. This is the parable of the talents. We're we're all quite familiar with it. I I use the word entrusted because... I think what's going on in this parable is Jesus is conveying that he has given his servants a stewardship. He's given his servants a gift. He's given his servants things to use for his kingdom. So here's the parable. Um, The king would be like a man going a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And so, what he gives to his servants is talents. Now, rightly understood, a talent was money, okay? It was money. And this week, as I was reading about the talents, some people think that a talent was about 60 days' wages. Some people think it was about 600 days wages, and some people think it was 6,000 days wages. That's a pretty vast difference, right? Like two months' salary versus 20 years' salary, right? If you're going to give me a talent, I'm on team 6,000, okay? I want it to be big. But either way, what's important here? is this master was not entrusting his servants with tiny nothing. He was entrusting them with big things, okay? He was entrusting them with big things. And if we're to take this as a parable of the kingdom, and we're the servants, which I think we are, then what Jesus is conveying is the master has entrusted us with meaningful meaningful things. Now, I am going to encourage you to broaden this out more than just finances. But we could just start there. Everything that you possess is something the Lord's entrusted to you. Every skill that you have is something that the Lord's entrusted to you. Every position that you have it's something that the Lord's entrusted to you. What's he want you to do with it? He wants you to further his purposes and multiply his kingdom here on earth. He wants to use you to that end. So what plays out in the parable is he gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant two talents, and he gives another servant one talent, okay? Now, there's no talk about the equity there. He just doles it out because it's his to dole out. You take what you're given, but notice what happens. The one who got five worked hard, invested it faithfully, and returned to the master at an unknown time a total of ten. The five that he gave him and another five. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one he gave two, he worked hard. He invested it. He turned two into four. And when this master returned, he gave all four to the master. To which the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. And to both of them, he says, you'll be entrusted with more because you've proven trustworthy. And to the third one, he was scared. He feared the master's disapproval. He feared the master's character. And so he chose to take no risk whatsoever, and he dug a hole and he buried the talent. And when the master returned, he said, you're an evil man and I fear you, so here's your talent back. Verse 26, but the master answered, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take his talent away, and give it to the others. Guys, this is not a lesson on banking, okay? It's not a lesson on finances. I'm not even going to talk about giving to the church even though we're for that, okay? This is a lesson on how we think about our Lord. That's the lesson. And the lesson is this. Everything the Lord's entrusted to me or to you, or then if we do it as a church, everything the Lord's entrusted to us, he's entrusted it so that we will faithfully represent Him, faithfully pursue His purposes, and make His name, His glory, His kingdom presence known and bigger because of what He's given to us. Now, I'm not saying that the kingdom depends on us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is the Lord entrusts The preaching of his gospel, the building of his church, and the building of his kingdom to play out through his disciples empowered by his spirit. And so I think the takeaway from this parable is the Lord's entrusted us, his people, with much because that's how he builds his church and builds his kingdom. Okay. Second. The Lord doesn't want us to be afraid of him. The Lord doesn't want us to be afraid of him. He wants us to serve him. And he wants us to use what he's given us for the good of his kingdom. So I think the third servant with the one talent went wrong by being Captivated by a false understanding of the master and being filled with fear of the master. So if we're sitting here, I know some of us are, are motivated by fear and doubt and we're like, I don't want my talent to be taken away. I don't want to be cast out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that I think the answer is get a right view of, Of the Master. Get a right view of Jesus the Savior. And understand that that we're his servants to begin with because He loved us. We're His servants to begin with because He came and lived a perfect life and died and rose again that we could be welcomed into His kingdom. Understand that we've been entrusted with talents, metaphorically speaking, because he has chosen to build his kingdom through the faithful labors of his servants as they're filled with trust in him. Get a biblical view of Jesus and his relationship to his children. It's one of grace, mercy, compassion, forgiveness, deliverance. Filling up what's lacking in us so that we can please Him and please the Father. So if we want to be found faithful, then let's understand that the Lord has entrusted us with a stewardship, a stewardship to use for his kingdom. And so I think our diagnostic question here would be, how am I as a child of Jesus using my life, my possessions, my time, what I love, what I do, how am I using those things for the church of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the work of Jesus in the world? And then, friends, if that question produces a whole host of follow up questions, I'd love to discuss those with you. Any of our elders or pastors would love to discuss those with you because we want all of us to be faithful with what the Lord's entrusted us. The good news of Advent is that Christ came and lived and died so that we don't have to perform our way into his kingdom but so that we can live freely as his children. Free to love, free to serve, free to obey free to follow, free to honor. So our Father and our God we pray now that you would take these, this word from your son and you would cause us to not only hear it, but to receive it and to believe it. Make us like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name.